You're tuned in to The Go Show, the official podcast of Andy Go, owner and founder of Gojo Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm your host, Andy Go. You could be listening to any podcast in the world, but you're right here with me, and I appreciate that. Welcome to The Go Show, the official podcast of me, Andy Go and Gojo Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks again for joining us. Today's episode is going to be an interview with a good friend of mine, a client, and somebody that I just generally admire and respect, and that's Bernadette Joy. And Bernadette is uh, somebody who gained some notoriety a couple of years ago for having paid off uh, $72,000 in student loans in something crazy like 20 some months. And that's what we actually made a podcast about not too long ago called Crush This Debt. You can still find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever you're listening to this podcast on right now, it's on that platform. So go check that out because that was actually one of my uh, favorite projects to work on, especially when I was first getting started. This is actually before uh, I even formed Gojo Studios. Um, But we created Crush This Debt as a way to tell Bernadette's story Uh, of having accrued $72,000 in student loans and the kind of predatory practices that go into that. And then once she had that debt, what she had to do to uh, pay it off. And it's not just the money thing. It's not just the budgeting thing. It's all, it's, it's talking to your family, you know, it's telling them why you can't um, go on this vacation or your friends, why you can't go to their wedding or something like that. Uh, There's a lot of that in there, but uh, the, um, podcast is formatted as such. It's kind of an editorial narrative, which is which is a lot of fun for me to work on. Uh, it tells a story through uh, scripted narration, ambient sounds, music. Uh, Harvey Cummings, who of course does the music for this podcast, helped out on that podcast as well. And uh, it's just a fun listen. The first 10 episodes are, you know, what what really drives the story. And those 10 episodes are still up. They're only about 10 minutes each. So you can definitely binge the whole thing and not too long uh, of a setting. So if you get a chance after you get done listening to this episode with Bernadette Joy, go and check out Crush This Debt, the Crush This Debt podcast. And uh, I think you're really going to enjoy hearing from her. She's a really genuine person with uh, a lot of great stories to tell. So uh, without further ado, here is is my conversation with Bernadette Joy. Bernadette Joy, welcome to The Go Show. Thank you so much for having me. It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. And we are in person, socially distanced, of course, but uh, we're here in your house and uh, what a lovely house it is. We've had dumpling parties here. We've sung. Thank you. Yes. We've sung um, karaoke here. Yes. What's your go-to karaoke song? Uh, I think we're alone now by Tiffany, (laughs) (laughs) which ages me. If there's any 20 year olds listening to this, probably don't even know what that song is, but. I think I'm alone now. Yes. That is it. Okay. Well, I'm not going to sing it right now, but yes. And uh, (laughs) you know mine. That's Montel Jordan's This Is How We Do It. Which is very strategic. (laughs) I I can tell a lot of someone by their karaoke song. And that is a very good karaoke song because it tells, uh, you know, what what people are going to be excited about it, which is like people 
like you and me. And who doesn't like that song, right? No, it's honestly a crowd pleaser at any time <laughs> you bring it out. It's and, and whenever you're doing karaoke or anything where you're getting a crowd involved, that's that's always a good pick. I mean, I know we love our, you know, kind of obscure songs that we like to bust those out are not moments. Good, those are not good picks for karaoke, though. No, they're not. They're really not. People are going to tune it out because they just don't know what it is, even though you think it's, you know, rad as fuck. Yep. <laughs> yep. Um, all right. Well, Bernadette, thanks so much again for bringing me here into your house uh, to have a chat. Uh, you're one of my favorite people to talk to. Um, and that's not just, you know, because we're friends and we've had lots of conversations, but you know, we've also worked together on a podcast. We, you know, have had a lot of conversations about money and, you know, race and things like that. So, uh, I always really enjoy our conversations. Uh, but for our listeners, I want to start off by talking about the podcast that you and I, uh, produced uh, a couple of years ago, uh, to really help your brand out, uh, and, and tell your story. Um, so tell me, like, you know, uh, where did you get the idea for the Bernadette Joy podcast? Um, this would have been... What? Two years ago. Two years. I feel like it was longer. Uh, three yeah, years but ago? I guess about three... Two or three years Two ago. Two or three years ago. <laughs> but you came to me with the idea of starting a podcast. And why did you why did you want to start a podcast? Sure. Uh, so it started, my journey started in 2016. 2017, I had paid off the student loans. Uh, the impetus for the podcast was entirely selfish, which was I found myself having a lot of people reach out to me through social media. Um, asking to have quote unquote cups of coffee and pick my brain about how I paid off, you know, all of his debt. So as an entrepreneur, I'm sure you get that all the time too. Like, I love to pick your brain. And so one day I came home to my husband, AJ, and I said, I'm really tired of people (laughs) picking my brain. Um, because not because I didn't like having the conversation, but more so because I felt like I was saying the same thing over and over and over again. And it felt inefficient, which is the other entrepreneurial part of me. So I said to my husband, you know, it would be great if I could just record what, you know, what the story was and then people could just listen to it. And he was like, you know, that's called a podcast, right? And I was like, oh, and who do I know that does podcasts? Andy. And so I am going to reach out to him to see if this is worth doing. And to be honest, at the time I was like, is this stupid? Like, should I not be doing this? And you were so encouraging about it. No, oh, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No, I, when you came to me with the idea, I was like, this is such a great idea because, well, first of all, it's about demystifying money. Yes. To me, that's what I, that, that was one of the first things I heard in your project. And, and one of the things that's really carried through, uh, since we've completed the project is that you were bringing to me an idea that was all about making, you know, our conversations about money, not taboo yes, or totally acceptable. And, yes. and, and really they're not. And, and as we've talked about so many times, that can be like the roots of some really vicious tension, drama, um, mm-hmm. and especially when we're talking about families, but of course of all yes. relationships, business included. And to me, I just love the way that you were willing to throw your whole story out there and completely expose yourself from the beginning when you were signing up for student loans and didn't know what you were doing, like yeah. so many of us do yeah. and saying, Hey, it's okay because that's what it is. And then going through the process and being really honest about what you had to do to pay off that debt and reach your goals. So, um, to me, I just, I, it was an, it was an opportunity that I, I had to take. And uh, I want to thank you too for allowing me to also kind of put my own editorial spin on it. Yes. Um, because, uh, you know, we kind of pushed it in the direction of uh, having you script out a lot of this material <laughs> and then kind of 
you know, reenact it. It wasn't just like an interview or just you talking about it for a couple of hours. It, it, we really did kind of turn it into a production. Yes. Which I will say made such a difference. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I can say this now, but going back then, I was like, oh, Andy's making me do this. And it was so uncomfortable for me. I'm going to tell you, right. Cause I don't consider myself a writer by any means. And the thought of scripting out these episodes, we would meet every Saturday morning. I remember this, right? And Friday night, I'd be like, fuck, <laughs> like I have to get this done by Saturday morning because I'm going to record this with Andy. But what it really did for me was push me to explain a lot of things that was just in my head that I didn't even realize was happening. And uh, because we took that narrative approach, uh, I got a lot of really positive feedback about that, that people felt like they were listening to like an audio book or they felt like they were really getting behind the scenes of what it what it was like. And then you had the great idea of adding these sound effects and the music from Harvey. And I felt like it just came Shout together. Out Cummings. Shout out Harvey. Right. And it felt very much like it was starting to build the foundation of what the brand is for Crush Your Money Goals now is. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. And to your credit, of course, you didn't back down from any of that. You didn't complain about it. You didn't say. Oh, I did. Just not to you. (laughs) Well, that's, I mean. That's what AJ's for. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, but yeah, you, you, you took it head on and, and you came in every Saturday and you were prepared and you're ready to go. And that's what really made the project work. And it wouldn't have worked had you not um, put yourself out there like that. But okay. So for our listeners who may have not heard the podcast, Mm -hmm. um, let's let's kind of talk about what actually happens in the podcast, what they'll hear if they want to go listen, which they definitely should. Mm-hmm. Um, but this really tells the story of you um, transitioning from the corporate world into, um, you know, business, small business ownership. But in the process of doing that, you accrued a uh, about $72,000 in student loans and grad school loans through mm-hmm. an online program through, uh, you know, UNC Chapel Hill. Yep. And, the process of accruing those student loans is just one that I think so many of our listeners and any, but you know, anybody our age millennials have experienced, which is that we need to go to school. We need to do this thing. If we don't, we're a failure and it doesn't matter how much money we're about, how much debt we're about to put ourselves in. We have to do this, uh, to do, to be successful. So, yes. So what I really loved about the way that we told the story was, and I remember having this conversation with you in seventh street market or wherever it was that we were, was that I didn't want it to be like another financial podcast where people just talk about the, you know, the logistics of, you know, getting in, uh, getting a student loan, right. What I really wanted to get behind the scenes of was why would someone like me who, you know, outwardly speaking, right. Like when people look like, oh, she has a successful career. She has this going on for her. Why would she take out this loan for this thing that she doesn't even really want to (laughs) do? Um, and a lot of it was because I felt like that was what I was supposed to do. That was a social pressure. It was family. It was so many other things that contributed to that financial decision. And what I think was really resonating with people who listen to the podcast is that they're expecting to get that like, oh, here's how you pay off $72,000 of debt and get that very like step-by-step, like this is what you do. Step one is you stop eating out and step two, you do this or whatever. But a lot of what the podcast is about is dealing with the emotional (laughs) trauma of debt and, and being honest about it, which 
I found after the fact that people found refreshing because no one talks about it. Yeah, exactly. And your family, uh, like we talk about in the podcast, even has a financial background, right? Yes. My dad was a CFO. My mom was an accountant. My brother is a finance person. And, um, and then on top of it, if you can't see me, I am Asian. Right. So (laughs) people are like, you are, you literally have all of the reasons to be good at this. Why, why don't you feel like you are, uh, you know, why do you feel like you're failing at it? And, um, and so being very transparent about that was a hard process for me too. And I, like I said, I don't even think I realized I had a lot of those emotions or thoughts until I had, until you forced me to write them down on paper. And then we recorded it. Wow. Uh, I mean, it's so amazing what happens when we write down what we think, um, which is which is a reminder I'm telling myself because I I, am always an inconsistent journaler. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, exactly. So you take on about seventy two thousand dollars in grad school loans. Um, By the time you realize it's that amount, it's too late. You're already that deep. Um, And so spoiler alert, you end up paying those off in about less than two years, correct? Less than a year, actually. Less than a year. Yeah. So I graduated in April, 2016. They were paid off in November of the same year. Yeah. And, 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 and and it wasn't any sort of silver bullet. Like you said, it wasn't this sort of, Mm -mm. whoa, we did this, played the market right. And they were able to, no, it was really just hardcore budgeting. It was a, you know, ruthless adherence to that budgeting. Mm -hmm. And, um, to the point where a lot of the podcast also deals with having to tell your friends, your family. No. Yes. Right. Like, no, you can't go to this wedding Mm -hmm. or no, you can't go on this vacation or no, we can't do this extra thing because this is what our goal is right now. And then like, and we don't talk about this in the, in the podcast, but fast forward to today, like you are debt free. Yeah. You have a, you, you own a house like outright. Yep. The Um, house that we're sitting in right now. The house that we're sitting in right now. (laughs) And it's only what been three years. Well, since how long has it been since you actually started grad school? What? Oh, so so I started grad school 2014. So six years since you accrued those $72,000 in loans. So that's proof positive that this can happen. Yes. This can happen. Yes. And, um, now that you say that, right, that, that, and what I hope that people take away from the story, right. And a lot of people sometimes will get hung up on the dollar amounts of it. Right. Because I will even say, I consider it to be an extreme example of, you know, $300,000 of debt paid off, you know, including we bought our house in 2014 too. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's, um, that's not common. And I get that, but I think what people can take away from it is that, you know, there are pieces of the story, which I think almost anyone can relate to, which is how do you deal with the social pressures of wanting to keep up with the people around you? How do you measure your worth? Is it, is it really in terms of, you know, what your career is and what your job is, or is it, you know, how you, how you see your life to be and how you contribute to other people's lives. That has been such a shift in the last couple of years and it continues to be a journey for me. And so that's why I continue to keep doing what I do. And that debt-free lifestyle, that ability to live debt-free or within, you know, having debt within your means is it's, to me, it looks like it's at the heart of kind of what you do now and kind of the brand that you've built for yourself around financial management. It's not just, you know, save $4 on a latte. Yeah. It's create this debt-free lifestyle that you can do the things you want to do and not have to go into debt to do them. Why is living a debt-free lifestyle so important to you? 
I think it comes down to the mindset around it. And so I will credit the podcast for this too, right? And uh, you'll remember this very clearly, right? We we initially decided to call this, you know, fuck this debt, right? Fuck this debt. (laughs) And you're you're like so sad about it. (laughs) Changed it. I was so sad on that because I was like, people will not forget it. Um, You know, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. And I really wanted to call it that too. Right. But then, you know, it came back to me of like, this is just really hard logistically to market. Right. So that's so visceral. Cause it's like (laughs) when you are in the throes of debt and like you get a paycheck, right. Mm -hmm. And half of it has to go to debt before you even get to spend a cent of it. It's like, fuck this debt. (laughs) Fuck this debt. And we said it so many times during, you know, during our, um, you know, all of our recording and stuff. Mm -hmm. So the serendipitous thing about that, right. Is that we, when we were trying to figure out what else to call it and then, you know, we changed it to crush this debt. Right. Which was like, okay, it's still like, has this like positive, it has this positive spin to it, but it's also still kind of like has that aggressiveness towards it. Um, when I started figuring out, okay, what are the steps that I can teach other people on how to pay off debt? it ended up working out to be a perfect acronym with crush. Right. So that's like what everything is kind of based upon. So to your question of like, why is it so important to me is that um, the first part of crush is cultivating a money mindset. And the biggest shift that it's made for me is that even if you are someone who like loves your credit cards and, you know, I don't, and, and I want to be very clear, right? I don't tell people that you, everyone has to be debt free. It is not for everybody. Absolutely. But the mentality of how can I minimize my debt and how can I think about doing th- things without having to take out debt has completely changed the game for me and everything that I do, not just money. So as a perfect example, we were just talking about this right before we got on, you know, this conversation of like, you know, Five years ago, I used to let people waste my time on (laughs) bullshit, right? On things that just were not important. And a lot of that, I will say, is contributed to the fact that I felt like, you know, I had bills to pay. I had, you know, a mortgage. I had all the, I had to take crap from people at work because I had to have that job. And so not having debt gave me a lot of confidence to be like, I actually don't have to put up with this. And so taking that same mindset towards, everything in my life that was causing me more pain than value um, is very directly contributed to the fact that I have a debt-free mindset. Mm, absolutely. I, I mean, that's, you know, I couldn't put it better myself. And in my last episode um, I of this podcast, I talk about, about having paid off my own student loan debts and credit card debts and everything else. And as of March of this year, I'm debt, I was, I was debt-free for the Woo-hoo! very first time in my life. Like how exciting is that? It's, it's honestly like a weight and, uh, uh, that's been taken off my shoulders and just like, a uh, uh, an effervescence that honestly I've never experienced before. I have been in debt since I was 17. I'm 38 now. That's over half my life. Yeah, that's 21 that's a years whole drinking age person. <laughs> it is. I could have, uh, yeah, I could have a, I could have a kid through college by now. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like it, the, the, the debt just, and, and I go into detail here where I talk about like, you know, having credit cards be put forwarded to collection agencies. Cause I can't pay them having yeah. months where I have to figure out like which bill I want to pay and prioritize mm-hmm. that it's that living that lifestyle grinds you down, especially when it's a day-to-day basis and like gives you this cloud of uncertainty and insecurity, knowing that you are legit, like 
not that far away from having to leave your house and just I had to, I had to stay with a friend of mine, not once, but twice, like on their couch for a few months at a time because of this stuff. And all this time I'm having to, you know, make payments on these student loans. So, um, my first, you know, okay. So I obviously deferred my student loans, didn't have to start paying them until about 2005, but from 2005 till this past December, mm-hmm. you know, that's at least $300 a month. Not only is that month, you know, money that takes away from my ability to live, but that's wealth that has been yeah. taken from me. Yeah. Like wealth, wealth. Like yeah. what if that money was going towards, um, you know, some sort of retirement or investment account or just something that you like or something <laughs> I like, yeah, my education, who knows? Um, but, but, but that's, and that's the thing. And I know that we get our, you know, we do make a commitment when we sign the, on the dotted line, whether we're conscious of exactly what we're doing or not. But I mean, that sort of debt is, is, uh, it can be soul crushing. I think it's and- soul crushing. <laughs> it's soul crushing. So I told myself after I paid off my debt, I'm not going to have any other debt for a little while, like none at all, because yeah. I just want to breathe for a little while and not have debt. Yeah. Even if like, okay, I can make this investment here. Make some, I just don't want any debt whatsoever because it's just uh, spiritually t- more than, I, you know, I've been in fear of debt all my life. Yes. And now um, that I have control over it, I just, that's the place that I want to be. And I don't like want to deal with debt at all. It's more important than actually investing it and making a little bit more of a return than I am otherwise. Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, you touch on something that someone touched on me this past week, right? Which was, I was talking to my old personal trainer um, who people would be surprised about, right? That I was, I, I had a trainer when I was paying off debt because like the debt and all that stress made me really unhealthy. And so I decided like, I wanted, I needed help in that aspect of my life. So people assume that because I'm disciplined with money that I'm disciplined everywhere else. And I'm, that's just not true. But she said to me, she said, you know, she said, uh, Bernadette, I remember when we first started working together that you knew that sugar was bad for you. And like, you're, a, you are so addicted to sugar. And I said, absolutely. I will eat cake for breakfast every day of the week if I could. And she said, you brought light to me when, when what I do is she, she said, you know, I didn't, I could not understand why you would do something like that when you know, it's not good for you. And and she, and, and she said, and I know how disciplined you are in your other parts of your life. So there has to be something else that's going on with it. And her epiphany, which I think is what you are describing is that, um, she realized that for people like me, when it came to the sugar thing, she was like, I realized that you had no idea what it looked like on the other side of it. Like she said, you have always been with, had chronic fatigue. You've always had, you know, this like feeling of tiredness and like just feeling crappy or whatever. And like, you told me you never felt there was a day in your life that you weren't tired. And so for her, she was like, for me, like, I know what it feels like to feel well. I know what it feels like when my body's feeling really good. So like, that's why I want it so much for other people. And so for you and me, and when it comes to the debt piece and why I think it's so important that you're sharing your story and why I share mine is that what I realize it's like, sometimes it's it, it, most of the time, it's not even a discipline thing, I would say. And that's where my shift has been in the last couple of years in teaching other people. It's that people really don't know what it's like to live without debt because they just assume that's just how it's going to be all the time. So until they see an example of what could it actually could be and that it exists and it's a good thing, why would you go for something that just is this like, you know, thing that you you can't even imagine? Right. So the fact that you're sharing this and you're saying like, 
the difference that you feel like this physical weight off of you, people can't even, can't even, um, imagine that. So the fact that you're sharing that I think is so powerful. Yeah. Some things are in life are priceless. Peace of mind is one of those things. And if living a debt-free lifestyle br- brings me peace of mind, I'm going to take that over an extra quarter of a point in my portfolio Yeah, any day. And here's the other <laughs> thing, which is what I love, right? Is that even in the last couple of years, I've shifted my mindset about debt because there's been, a lot of people are like just all debt is bad. And I, you know, even for myself, I would say I would have said the same thing when we first did the podcast. Now that I've been exposed to so many different situations, I've I've seen the gamut of where, you know, my shift has been like debt is only bad if it is keeping you from your life. There are there are instances where I can see where there is not another option for debt right? Or that it is furthering your goals, right? So in the example of like, you know, buying a home, right? That's debt for sure. But like, does that give you security? Does that give you an asset to have? Does that give you a feeling of stability and all of that other stuff? Like to me, that makes sense, right? But that same debt could be bad for someone else if they're like in a home that they hate and like that they bought too much or, Mm -hmm. you know, like, it's in a place that they don't want to be. Right. So this, this idea of like all debt is bad has kind of shifted in my mind. Um, and more of like debt is debt is like anything else. I don't think it's inherently good or bad. It depends on how you use it. Right. It's, it's kind of like a tool, right? Debt, exactly. credit, those things, if you use them the right way, they can be really helpful. Really. Yeah. I think, um, And you challenged me actually on that. (laughs) You did in the beginning because we talked about credit cards and stuff. And I will initially say, right, in the beginning, I was like, all credit cards are terrible, right? But then I had an instance, you know, a couple, uh, you know, last last week where I had a client who was like, job is cut, no money in the bank, literally has kids to feed. What am I going to tell them? No, don't put it on your credit card. Like that doesn't make sense, right? But what I love about your story and what you're saying is that like a lot of people underestimate their ability to to move towards a debt-free lifestyle. And again, it's that whole idea of like, well, I don't even think it's possible or it's going to be too hard. But once you get over that hump, then you get to the other side, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm here. I don't want to go back. Oh, trust me. (laughs) That's exactly how I feel right now. Like, uh, I mean, uh, you know, and, and, you know, let's not get it twisted. Like our society kind of pushes us towards debt. Like our societies run on debt and credit and all that. And and I get that, but we're still in control of our lives. And, you know, if, if we're lucky enough to be able to have the abilities to make our choices and, and have access to those things, then, you know, a debt-free lifestyle is just amazing. Now, um, like I was saying, like uh, we, we were talking about here, credit debt is, is, is a tool you know, in my eyes, uh, and just like a chainsaw can help you trim your trees. It can also cut off your arm. Yeah. If you don't use it right. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you got to manage your money. Yes. You can't let your money manage you. So yeah, if you are in a house that's underwater and you bit off more than you can chew and your credit cards are maxed out and all that, and like, that's not a good situation. But if you are, you know, using your credit cards wisely and so like, the credit card example, you don't, you know, have said that you don't use credit cards. Yeah. Um, I use my credit cards cause I'm like your husband, AJ, I like mm-hmm. the point system, Yes, but you know what I realized like a couple, you know, in the recent years is like, man, if I'm carrying a balance, those points really don't mean anything. Cause I'm paying for it on the back end. Right. Yeah. So it really, you have to be in that sweet spot of where you're essentially paying off your credit cards each month. So you're not accruing interest, but you are accruing these points. That's a very specific sweet spot to yes. be in. And not everybody can do that. It's actually, and it's a very small 
percentage of people is what Incredibly I learned. Small, right. Yeah. Um, and, but that's not to say that those percentage of people shouldn't, should stop doing what they're doing. And I think that mm-hmm. is where my shift has been is really understanding all of the different situations that could potentially happen and challenging my own views about these things. And, you know, I will say, um, most recently, right. So what's happening right now is AJ and I paid off this house, mm-hmm. right. We, um, And a lot of people will assume like, oh, I'm the person who's going to tell you you have to pay for a house in cash, which like realistically is just like, does like who can, you know, it's, it's not impossible, but it's so hard, so hard. Right. So AJ and I were like, you know what? We have shown twice now with our first mortgage and now our second mortgage that we have been able to pay it off in less than 10 years. And we were very responsible about it. And we buy houses that are not above our means. So our next, we're in the process right now of buying a, a place in Asheville, 20% down, 10%, 10, uh, you know, 10 year mortgage, right? This process has been so challenging because people can't believe that we're doing that. <laughs> the system's not set up for a buyer like you to come in with no. 20% down and wanting a t- yeah, 10 year mortgage. And wanting a 10 year mortgage. And also um, what, and this is where the challenge has been. I'm going to be completely, this is a, you're the first person I'm going to say this to you, right? Is that because I have not, because I have no debt, I don't have, a, I no longer have a credit score. I guess I got to the point of like, like I don't <laughs> exist, right? According to, <laughs> according to like the society, right? So the irony in all of this, right? Is there say, so I've talked to like several mortgage lenders and this is good for, this is good information for you since you're looking at buying a home, right? Oh my gosh. Is they're like, you know, you can't, we can't give you a mortgage. Like we can't decide if you're a good person to lend to. And I'm like, can you just Google me? I literally, one of the conversations I said, I got to the point of like, wait, can you just, can you just Google me for a second? Like, I I know that sounds so pretentious, but literally I don't know what else to say about this. And, and so to your point of, you know, the, our system is set up that people want you to be in debt. One of the responses they gave me was like, We'll be able to give you a mortgage if you if you get if you get another credit card and have it for two years. Well, <laughs> what kind of crazy stuff is that? Isn't first that- of all, like first of all, that is so shady because it's not about your ability to repay the loan. Clearly, it's about clearly. how much money they can get off of the interest and the fees and all that sort of Correct. stuff. And they know that a ten year mortgage with twenty percent down is the least profitable deal for them. Yes. Yes. So the, you know, they were asked, they're like, you sure you don't want a 30 year mortgage? And would you like to refinance your current house and just put the loan on your house and just pay for that one in cash? I'm like, what, why would I do any of that? And, and then, you know, the other, and, and so this is good fodder for me, right? Like, I was like, oh, I can't wait to write an article about this, how, you know, at this point now, age, you know, we have like half a million dollars worth of assets and I have no debt and I paid off two mortgages and no one wants to give me a mortgage. It's like, we, luckily we found someone who's actually like sensible and will do it. Yeah. But how many people did I have to go through to figure that out? Right. So that's, that's really insightful. (laughs) That's a really insightful look at like what this, you know, suppose, okay, this is the American dream. We're supposed to like, let you get, you know, into your, into your dream home and all that. And then like something that completely goes against the grain of everything we've been working towards is holding you back. Uh, That's insane. Real quick, uh, before we go to break here, I do want to ask, I saw that post you made the other day about why uh, you need 20% down. If you, the, the headline was, if you 
don't, if you can't put 20% down, then you can't afford to buy a house. Mm-hmm. Why, why is that? <laughs> well, 20% uh, is a lie. If you're, it is a lie. At, if you're looking at a $300,000 house, that's $60,000. $60, yeah. Absolutely. Yes. So uh, to be perfectly transparent, that was Time Magazine saying that we need we need people to click on this. So we're going to make it really <laughs> controversial. Um, Which, by and, the way, yeah, a lot of writers don't get to choose their headlines. No, I did not yeah. get to choose the headline on that. Um, and I, I think I initially wrote it as like, if you can't put 20 percent of it out, <laughs> then perhaps you cannot buy a home. And they're like, no, we want to like a real line in the sand. Um, but it is something that I do believe in the sense of like and what I say in the article is it was based on my personal experience, right? So the reason that I said that was because long story short, my parents and AJ's parents followed the traditional uh, the traditional advice of 30-year mortgage, don't put you know, don't put money down if you can help it because you can make your payments lower and all of that stuff, right? And we watched both of our parents go into past their 60s and not be able to retire because they were still carrying a mortgage 30 years after they bought it. Right. Mm -hmm. So I say in the article, like ultimately everyone's going to do what's what makes sense for you. Right. And you have to decide like you're going to you're the only person that's going to have to live with that financial choice. So I take no offense if people don't agree with that opinion. My opinion comes straight from the experience of having seen, you know, my parents suffer from that mistake. But then also for me and AJ personally, we kind of did the same thing on, you know, the first, you know, our first purchases and it bit us in the ass. <laughs> um, so it's, it's just, it's the challenge people to think, all right, if, if I'm looking at buying a house, what is the best way that I can do this? That is going to help me not just for this immediate, very emotional purchase, but for like the long term of it and putting down, uh, you know, 20% is absolutely a big hurdle, but I think one of the things that has been really building my confidence is that even for this purchase right now, right? Because me and AJ were debt-free and we got all our shit together and all of our finances, it did not take us as long to build up the 20% down because now our expenses are so low and everything else. So in a weird way, um, there's those are the things that people don't think about, right? Is if you get all of your money right first, right? Like it's exactly what you just did. You paid off your student loans, you paid off your credit cards, like you are so much more financially savvy than you were a couple of years ago. You're in a great position to buy Mm -hmm. a home now, but a lot of people are going into home buying being like, well, I just want it now. And I just want the biggest one and all of that. Right. So, yeah. And Oh, we only have to put 5% down. Mm -hmm. Nice. Right. Cause I didn't want to put anything down. (laughs) (laughs) And again, like if people decide to do that, that's okay. That's your choice. Right. But that is what most people are telling them. So I'm, I'm trying to provide a counter view of like, at least consider this option. And if you decide not to go with it, then at least you knew what all the options were. Yeah. And, and, and what I kind of, where it rings true for me too, is the opportunity cost that you have of, again, you paid off a house in less than a decade, which means that you're still young enough to enjoy the fruits of having a house paid off and mm-hmm. the flexibility that allows you, that allows you, I feel like, you know, in the society that we've been brought up in as millennials, like we've been taught that like, those are things you can only enjoy when you're like near retirement age yeah. or something like that. And that's just not true. Like we can, you can pay off a house before you're 40 and open up this whole, again, like if you don't, if you've got a house paid off by the time you're 40, I mean, you are so much more flexible in what you want to do, where you want to live, the type of work you want to do allows you to, you know, certainly helps you allow you to be an entrepreneur like you are. Um, 
just that ability to live your life in those means on your terms. Uh, again, there's not really a dollar amount you can put towards that, but it is yeah. to me worth it every single time. Well, let me give you the dollar amount that we can go to this. Okay. Right? okay. Oh, thank <laughs> you for, oh, yes, please for the, quantify for it the for, ma- for the mathematical people. <laughs> right. Is that, and I looked at this and this is actually what I teach in one of my classes is two years ago when we were recording this podcast, right? Our monthly expenses, me and AJ was about like, just to like pay for our housing, basic expenses, all of that stuff was about $3,000 per month. Right. So in order for me to quit my job and do all, and do all things I want to do now in my mind, I was like, I need to make sure I make at least $3,000 a month to get by, just to get by with our car payment, all of that stuff. Right. Fast forward to 2020, we don't have a car payment. We don't have a house payment. We don't have, uh, credit card payments or anything. We just have basic utilities and food and, and, you know, like other minor expenses. Our monthly expenses now are $827 a month to live (laughs) with the two, with me and AJ, right? I could go work at Target (laughs) and still get by, you know, in a paid for house, in a nice house, because we don't have to pay that monthly bill. So what has been coming up with the conversation I've had with people is like, even in this time that we're in right now where emergency funds are super important, um, people are thinking like, okay, and I, I tell people like one of the basic expenses that I want you to make sure that you cover is that having an emergency fund that you are covered for 30 days and that's health and food and housing and utilities and transportation. Just so like if you're, you lose your job, your business crashes or whatever it is that you have to cover those things right now for, I don't know many people that can say that that's $827 for them. Right. Um, and so for me, what I didn't realize until this time period that we're in right now is that, that, that decision to pay off debt really, really changed our trajectory in terms of like our flexibility on everything that we do. And the peace of mind is no longer $3,000. It's only $827. So there is a quantified way to do that. That that is absolutely a fantastic way uh, of looking at that. So thanks for throwing that out there too. And then the thing that I think about when you bring that up too is, uh, you know, a lot of people think that you have to earn $100,000 a year, $200,000, $500,000 a year to be happy. Well, those people who are earning that much money, their living expenses are probably a lot higher than eight hundred twenty-seven dollars exactly. a month. They're probably in the five to six to who knows how high, you know, thousands of dollars a month just to afford the house, do the mortgage on the house, just to afford the daycare and the two Range Rovers and all these other traditional markers of success that Correct. we've been inundated with our entire lives. Those are the th- that's the you know thing that is whole you know really kind of you know, locking us to the ground, you know, like preventing us from growing, preventing us from doing the things that we want to do in our lives. Um, and that's why the, you know, to me, the debt-free lifestyle just means so much because, uh, you know, yeah. It, what if you only had to make $3,000 a month to survive, especially in retirement, Yes, you know, retirement, like, you know, what if you had, didn't have to worry about that? It's, you know, that stuff is far more important than, uh, you know, just making a few extra points in your portfolio. I a hundred percent agree with you that. And I think that's something that is just, again, get very counterintuitive to what we are taught mm-hmm. um, and what the messaging is in society. Absolutely. Um, and so even AJ and I, and I were like, I, and I go to, I go through this debate. I'll be honest with you. Some days I'm like, you know, we are, we can actually see retirement 
way closer in the horizon because of this too, right? Because now the thought is like, okay, if we wanted to maintain the same lifestyle that we have right now, which we're perfectly okay with, again, not for everybody, but like we eat grass fed beef, we like go out, we do, you know, we do things. Um, it would cost us a thousand bucks every month. So like retirement doesn't seem as unreasonable as it did three years ago. And when we're thinking like, just our basic expenses alone were costing us $3,000. So that's something for, for people to think about. I'm so glad you're bringing this up. This is great. <laughs> Absolutely. And Bernadette, um, I'm definitely going to have to have you on the go show multiple times because <laughs> there's always different ways that we can talk about this stuff and new things to talk about. Uh, but let's take a quick, uh, a quick break real quick on the go show. Um, I'm, we're going to be right back here with Bernadette joy. We're going to talk about kind of what you're getting into now, you know, where, uh, your brand is, uh, today. And also I want to talk about another one of the initiatives that you just told me about that you're joining into, which is uh, helping uh, the community in the response to the COVID pandemic. Oh, so uh, we'll be back with that and more on the go show. Awesome. What would you say if the whole world was listening? That's a question that only you can answer, but how you do that may not be. If you've been sitting on a killer podcast idea or need to share your story with a passionate community, it's time to launch your podcast. Gojo Studios serves clients of all sizes who not only want to take advantage of a growing medium, but want to do it right. Visit gojostudios.com for more information or email me, andygo at andy at gojo.com. That's G-O-H-J-O.com. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to the Go Show. Bernadette Joy on the microphone with us here today. Thanks again, Bernadette. Thank you. Um, real quick, I do want to actually go back to something that you mentioned uh, in the first segment about people asking to pick your brains. Ah. Yeah. And I actually have like this weird thing about that, or, you know, I, I go back and forth on this because, uh, you know, like you said, it's tough when people just want to kind of mine you for information and not really give back. Um, but I also feel like I was helped out in my career by people who selflessly just sat down yes. and talked to me with no sort of benefit that I could tell, um, that, uh, helped me out my career. So, you know, what, what, tell, tell me a little bit more about what goes through your mind when somebody says, can I pick your brain? Oh yes. I struggle with exactly what you describe, which is like, you want to be helpful. You don't want to be, you don't want to seem selfish. Um, but also at the same time, you got to make a living. And, um, and I think it's, it is a weird space because of the things like you and I do, right. Where it's service based. And a lot of what our, what we make our money on is based on our knowledge and expertise. And so where I have figured out to decipher on that is asking, simply asking people for a very specific agenda as to what they, what they want to talk about. So I tell people, I'm always happy to chat with anyone, but if we're going to use the time, then I want to make sure that it's it's useful for both them and me. And so what I have found is that just asking people the gatekeeping question of like, what are your three agenda items for this meeting? The people the people who really want to um, get value and add value come up with that very easily. The ones who are just trying to take value don't have anything to say. Mm, mm, <laughs> so I like this little barrier to entry. Yeah, that's not monetary. 
and it's not monetary, right? So anyone can sign up to uh, chat with me on my website. Like it says like schedule a free chat and it asks you, what are your three items for your agenda? And that usually scares the people away <laughs> who don't really have like a strong reason to meet. Well, that's really good though. I mean, you do want to filter out people who are essentially going to waste your time because people will do that if you let them. Yeah. Um, but I like that. And and like you said, I'd struggle with that so much because so much of what I do is teaching and telling people what to mm -hmm. do. And my natural inclination is to help out as many people as I can. But of course, you know, when you do that, you spread yourself thin and yes. then you're not able to meet the commitments that, you know, you really do need to meet. So yes. I'm glad. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. Um, all right. So let's go back to kind of your story. Uh, let's bring our listeners up to speed with where you are today. So sure. after the podcast, podcast, uh, you know, premiered, you, you, you had a small business of your own for a little while yes. called dressed. Yes. So tell us a little bit about dressed. RIP dressed. RIP dressed. <laughs> yep. Yeah, pouring out a, a little water here for, for dressed. Yeah. Uh, so dressed was the reason that I decided to get out of debt was because I was in, um, you know, regular day job and I was trying to start this dress rental business here in Charlotte and it was going actually pretty well. I got a lot of you know, we had a lot of clients, had a lot of feedback in the local community. Um, but along the way of paying off debt, I kind of started to see a couple of things. One was this idea of helping women with trying to keep up certain appearances kind of went very much against the grain of what I was talking about on the podcast and felt very misaligned. And then the other side of it was that just scaling a retail business um, was less of an interesting problem to me than helping people get out of debt <laughs> and, and the financial system that we just talked about in the previous segment. So, oh, and also uh, not that this is obviously entered your mind at the time, but a business like that seems like it would be really hard to pull off right now during the pandemic. So get this, right. I, and I remember thinking this was, I finally made the decision in October of last year that was like, I don't know, just, I don't think I can do this dress thing anymore. And I, and it also came to the point where I was like starting to really get some traction and crush your money goals. And I was spreading myself really thin. So I had to make a choice and I felt like the biggest failure at that time. I cried my eyes out about it. I was like, what are people going to think if, you know, I close this business and you know, all of that. Right. And that, whole experience in of itself was such a teaching moment because it kind of brought me back to the origination of why I got into debt in the first place, which was like, I want to impress people. I want to show people that I am successful at something. And so like doing this thing of closing this business, does that prove the opposite? And made the really hard decision to close it, spent pretty much all of the back end of 2019, just like being sad about it and figuring <laughs> out. And then, and then thinking like, I know there's something to this crush your money goals. I don't know what it is yet, but now I have the time and space to do it. Then we come in January. So I launched crush your money goals in January of 2020. And my intent was to run it as a in-person workshop, speaking engagement type of business. March comes, right? And no mass gatherings, <laughs> right? Entirely predicated upon, you know, that's what my business was entirely predicated upon was like, okay, people will be meeting in large conventions, right? <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, did I make a mistake in closing dress? But then what I realized as we started seeing all of this stuff happening is like, 
the, what a blessing was it that I don't have dress anymore. Like I don't have the overhead of the rent anymore mm-hmm. that people are struggling with right now, like getting out of leases. My business was entirely like that business was entirely predicated on people having parties and like galas, which none of that is happening. And so I have, I feel so much for the small businesses that are dealing with that right now, because I firsthand had to like, you know, make those decisions myself. And especially for, I've actually had a lot of people approach me asking about like, how did I make the decision to close dress? Because they're having to make that, those choices now. And the biggest thing that I've told people is like, you know, really have to look at this from a business perspective, even though it's so personal to us, especially as small business owners, but you have to separate the person, you versus the business and what makes sense in each of those areas. So it was a learning experience, but such a blessing in disguise. Mm, yeah. Oh man. Uh, blessing in disguise. Uh, those, those really mean a lot when they, when they come around and you can recognize them. Um, so tell us a little bit about crush your money goals. Sure. Um, so crush your money goals is a financial education, um, company. That's what I build myself as, but the way that I do financial education, I think is very different, um, from how other companies look at it. So one of them, is doing content just like this. So getting the word out about, you know, what it's like like to live debt free. Um, So I do a lot of TV and, you know, podcasts and um, recently started writing content for for places like Time Magazine and CNBC. So that's been super fun. And I will attribute you to getting me to start thinking myself of myself as a writer because I never thought of myself that way before. Making me blush over here. <laughs> so Checks in the mail, by the way. <laughs> so that um, that's a big part of what I do in my business. And then the other parts is to do um, classes and um, workshops for companies. Now they're all 100% virtual, which has been um, super fun because it's expanded my network outside of the Charlotte area. Um, and my class is I like to um, call them money planning for humans. And I say that because I really come at it just the same way with the brand of the podcast is talking about the emotions and the other things that go into the decision-making process of financial choices. And then the other piece is totally unexpected is that I didn't realize that there was a brand being built (laughs) underneath Crush Your Money Goals. I'm just kind of like, I'm just doing whatever I think I should be doing and hope that it works out. And a lot of other um, companies have started reaching out to me to ask them to help kind of infuse the Crush Your Money Goals brand into what they do. So um, a lot of what I do, um, aside from the classes and the content, is teaching other companies how to brand themselves in a similar way that I did with Crush Your Money Goals. Fantastic. Um, that's so great that you've been able to build a whole new business and a whole new brand around your ability to pay off debt, which, you know, again, you know, you, we, we go back to 2014 when the whole reason you got into grad school was just so, you know, what, so you could get, have the higher paying job so that, you mm-hmm. know, because that's, that was, that was the goal at that point. And then like you've, completely taken that situation and flipped it on its head and now are using that situation to truly create the life that you want. I th- I think that's so special and wonderful. Thank you. And totally not planned. So. <laughs> yeah, which is another great thing to, you know, message, right? Yeah. Keep in mind because like we can always make these great plans and think that we have the right ideas and that we're on the right path. And then truly, you know, life's going to put something in our way that's going to let us know that we, you know, we need to be less rigid about these things. Absolutely. And I say also, you know, on that point too, of looking at when you get 
thrown off course. Is that, is that throwing you off course because that was a course you were supposed to be on in the first mm. place or not? Mm. Um, and I get that question all the time of people saying like, you know, do you regret going to grad school? So what is funny is that I don't really use a lot of the content of what I actually learned in grad school, <laughs> but the situation that I went to grad school and got the student loans is what propelled me into this. So it's such a bizarre oh, gosh, crazy. reason that that is important in my life, but here we are, right? Yeah. Yeah. Again, discussions for another day. I'm definitely going to have to yeah. have you back on the podcast, but um, let's wrap up with this. Tell me a little bit. Uh, you posted on social media media the other day. You're you're helping out with the, the response here in the Charlotte community around COVID-19. Tell me what's the, what that's about. Yeah. So it's still getting off the ground, but essentially Mecklenburg County, um, the board of commissioners wanted to put together a task force with, um, you know, civilians from all over the county, uh, with different areas of expertise to put together a plan around what they call, um, renewal and recovery around COVID-19. So, um, the task force is set to start working on it actually next month. And there's about 20 ish or so people that are on it. Um, I was really excited about it because you and I, again, have had many conversations about like civic duty and like, what is our role in community and all of that stuff. And I realized I really wanted to do more in that. Um, and just as we talked about with my personal experience, seeing my own business as a small business owner and what that impact has looked like, but also a lot of the other people I talk to are small business owners. I also have a really strong, um, strong interest in things like mental health and the healthcare system, which is an entire other dis <laughs> discussion that we could have. And so any way that I could help bring some thought leadership and, um, you know, innovation into that was, was exciting to me. So actually yesterday they were just, um, they are trying to appoint two co-chairs to it. So, um, I interviewed for that. I don't know if I'm going to get that position or not. Um, but what, I learned from that process is that uh, Mecklenburg County is trying to take the approach that they understand that they are not the experts in this, that none of, no one really is, right? We're all in this new situation that none of us know how to navigate. And what I heard from that conversation is that they also understand that this is not going to be like a all right, like one shot deal. Like this is going to be a long-term multi-prong approach and it's going to hit almost every aspect of our lives, right? And everything from healthcare to like the arts. So how can we put a plan around that? That is a very big task. Um, it's exciting to me because it's very complex, but also, you know, from a personal perspective, I think it can help a lot of people that I care about. So that's amazing. Great stuff. And thank you for, you know, volunteering your time and your efforts to, to do that sort of thing. Um, which again, I know is something that you can probably be more comfortable about doing, knowing that you don't have to pay uh, $300 yeah. to loan debt <laughs> payment off each month, which brings us full circle back to why living a debt-free life is so wonderful. Absolutely. <laughs> Definitely provides a lot more opportunity for me to do things that really matter to me. So thank you exactly, for reminding exactly. me that. Bernadette, Joy, uh, where can my listeners find out more about you? And Crush Your Money Goals. Sure. So you can go to crushyourmoneygoals.com um, and there you can learn about all the things that we do at the company. And then for me personally, I am at Bernadette Joy, spelled with D-E-B-T, <laughs> on all social media. And Wait, is that B-U-R-N? No, it's B-E-R-N. Okay. 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 All right. I get it. <laughs> yeah. B-E-R-N-A-D-E-B-E-T-J-O-Y. So my name with the word debt in it. <laughs> Uh, thank you to my parents. That is one thing that was totally serendipitous as well. Mm -hmm. um, but you can find me in all social media platforms and I'm just, I'm on there pretty much daily spouting 
debt-free tips. <laughs> <laughs> well, join in, uh, join Bernadette on her goal and your, her goal for you to crush your money goals. Thanks so much. Thank you. Well, thanks again to you, the listener, for tuning in to my conversation with Bernadette Joy. Like I said, Bernadette is a is a good friend of mine. And again, we've worked together on the podcast. I really love the money message, message that she brings. You know, I'm not like a big self-help type of person, but I feel like when people have a good, wholesome message, one that's actually rooted in whatever's best for the person they're trying to deliver it to, that's something that I can always support. And that's definitely something that Bernadette does. So remember to check her out, the Crush Your Debt podcast and and everything else that she's got going on. Um, So next week, I'm going to bring a conversation about my own relationship with money. I know I touched on it here in this conversation here today, but I definitely have some more thoughts that I want to put into uh, talking about money. So you can expect to hear that next week. Um, Just going to touch on a couple of quick things here real quick before we go. First of all, the state of the COVID pandemic is such that, you know, I budgeted when this pandemic started around five or six months. Once I knew the severity of what it was going to be, I figured in about five to six months, that's just going to be lost time, which essentially it has been to this point. However, now we are definitely at the point in the pandemic where it's not just lost time. It's the fact that we are not doing anything to make this pandemic any better. That's why the Big Ten just canceled their football season is because we still don't have people wearing masks. We still don't have people social distancing. We had a a rally of bikers 250,000 deep in a 7,000 person town in in, in Montana. Um, We are just not taking this as a country seriously as we need to. And we are trying to have our cake and eat it, too. You know, this reminds me of back when I was in high school. When I was in high school, I was trying to play basketball, but I had a GPA that wouldn't have let me play. And I remember one semester, you know, my mom sat me down and she's like, listen, I know you want to play basketball, but if your grades are like this, you can't continue playing ball. And if you don't just buckle down for the next, you know, however long was left in that semester, a couple of months or whatever, then you're not going to be able to play. And it wasn't fun hearing that, but I knew that I needed to really sacrifice for that period of time to get the grades that I needed, which I ended up getting. And so I could play. That's all good. But that's exactly what we're not willing to do right now, at least not on a larger sense as as Americans is just buckle down and sacrifice for just a little while so that we can get back to normal. If we had been social distancing, if we had had our masks in place since May, since April, then we would be kicking off the Big Ten season, you know, in a couple of weeks. And there wouldn't be these questions over whether or not seasons were going to happen. Uh, So the selfishness of our own collective society is is really holding us back in this in this pandemic. The rest of the world is largely moving on and we can't even watch a football game. That's that's pretty disappointing. Uh, and then the second thing that I'm going to talk on just real quick before we get done here is obviously the postal system. The U.S. Postal Service is under attack right now from the GOP who wants to uh, have the uh, U.S. mail not be able to deliver mail in ballots in this upcoming election. And that is unacceptable. We can't have that be the case. This is uh, a attempt at. Uh, suppressing the votes and it's blindingly obvious. And I just don't know what 
what to do about it. Honestly, I don't know how to save the post office myself. What me as an individual can do about this right now, except for calling up, you know, representatives. But, um, I've seen pictures on Twitter of people like literally rounding up, uh, mailboxes in trucks and taking them off the streets. Like, I I honestly don't know how this is going to be a free and fair election coming up in November. And this, travesty with the u.s postal services is right up there with one of my chief concerns about it um i've already made the decision i'm going to vote in person because i'm young enough relatively healthy enough i've got the time i've got the resources i can do that uh and i'm not going to you know put extra stress on the mail system but i'm also looking at that as like you know the plastic straw dilemma like me not using a plastic straw the next time i go get a drink is really probably not going to do anything in effect to help out waste in the oceans, even though it's just one small thing. It's, it's honestly just not material enough to make a difference. So I don't know. I don't know what the answer here is, but I'm deeply alarmed by what's going on with the U S postal service. And I think that uh, we are headed into a, a couple of months here of, of real uncertainty. This is, election is only two months away and I'm, I'm, not uh, enthusiastic about what what could be the results, but um, just like everything else we've been doing since the pandemic started, we're going to take it one day at a time. We're going to keep our eyes open. We're going to keep our ears open and and keep making the best decisions that we can. So, again, thanks so much for tuning in here to the Go Show. I appreciate it. I love making this podcast. It's so much fun. I love bringing stories uh, to you, and I love going and, and having these conversations with people like Bernadette. And uh, you can definitely expect more of this here in the future. So, uh, thanks once again. My name's Andy saying drive home safe, be great every day, and tell your loved ones that you love them. I'm out. That's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening to The Go Show. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and subscribe to The Go Show on your podcast platform of choice. Give us an honest rating and a review as well. It really helps this podcast appear in other people's feeds and searches. Follow me personally on Twitter at Andy Go and on Instagram at The Gojo. That's G-O-H-J-O. You can find Gojo Studios on both platforms at Gojo Studios. And finally, check out gojostudios.com for all the latest updates and podcast material. The Go Show is created, written, recorded, edited, mixed, mastered, and produced by Andy Go of Gojo Studios. Music by Harvey Cummings.